gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! What a shot! Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive! Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep, caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. There's going to be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying! Inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record! Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. Money. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance! And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to the DMV Dispute brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. I'm your host, Jeremy, and you can follow me on Twitter at J Squared. To one, I'm joined today by my boys Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Great, I'm feeling good. Even though the Redskins lost, it's my Mystics are keeping me keeping me up. So I'm uh, I'm not I'm not upset. <laughs> what about you, Gerard? Man, uh, the Terps got to win this weekend. So shout out somebody in DC wanted to play football. So I'm good on that. <laughs> All right, Gerard, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. And what about you, Darren? I am at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops on Twitter. All right. As always, we're proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is dmvsportsnetwork.com. They can be followed on Twitter at dmv underscore sn. They have some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional, college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many more. NFL season is here, at least, well, the regular season is here. The real season is here. And it was a very exciting weekend, but there were two different outcomes for the two teams in the area. Let's start with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens went into Miami and defeated the Dolphins 59-10. to They actually had a franchise record with most points scored in a half. And uh, Lamar Jackson looked really good. Also, rookie uh, wide receiver Marquise Brown, which is the cousin of Antonio Brown, who's had a wild week himself. Uh, he had a very good game, two touchdowns. But Lamar Jackson... 
five was it five touchdown passes guys five touchdowns yep 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 yep, yep. uh d- um Gerard was Lamar Jackson's performance against the Dolphins a sign of improvement or was it just the Dolphins and when I say improvements I'm talking about specifically uh his, his throwing abilities was it a sign that he really worked on this during the offseason or is this just you know what we played against the Miami Dolphins, who probably are already on the clock for the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, it's a little bit of both, but I'm not going to take credit away from Lamar Jackson with the Ravens did yesterday. They went down to Miami and destroyed a professional football team. They didn't go play an expedition, exhibition game against a UFO team of veterans or whatever or some charity event. They played professional NFL athletes. And they dominated them. It was not fair from the from the beginning of the game. And so Lamar Jackson came out and showed everybody that he can throw the ball too. Granted, he wasn't going against the world champs, but it was still a very good game. You could tell that he did a lot over the offseason to become more confident in his ability to throw the ball in the NFL. He worked with some guys. He put a lot of work in, and it showed in week one. Now, the key is consistency. Can he do from week to week and be and keep his team in a position to win games? Because they have talent on both sides of the ball, and they're well-coached. So they have the ability to, you know, go deep into the season with a high chance of making a deep playoff run. You saw what their two um, – you saw what the – other teams in the AFC North did yesterday, um, Sunday Night Football, the Steelers lost to the Patriots, and then the Browns disappointed a lot of people who had them as favorites to win by getting blown up by the Titans. And so they might be the best pl- best team in their division already. It's still going to take a long time for that to be solidified, but I think they put themselves in position, and Lamar Jackson did a really good job of making sure that the NFL has to be put on notice that he can throw the ball to not just and not just act as a runner. So I think he did a very good job with that. Yes, the Dolphins are awful. It's probably going to be the Redskins' first win this year, but it doesn't negate the fact that Baltimore went out and did the, and did their job. Yeah, I well first first things first. I'm going to I'm going to say uh I'm not definitely sold on them being the 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 best team in the division just yet. I mean cuz like you said it's the Dolphins. We don't really know yet. Uh but yeah, the other the other teams in the division were very disappointing, but again, it's one of those things where like there's still a lot of football to be played. Um I, I did think the Browns are going to struggle out of the gate. I don't uh, know that the Steelers are going to get blown out every game, but I mean, we'll see. But uh, on to the topic at hand. Uh, I, I'm mostly in agreement with you. I think that two things can be true. I think it can be a combination of Lamar Jackson definitely having improved his game uh, over the summer, and he's, he's definitely proven that he and throw the football um but also yes we are actively watching the dolphins implode right now so that's that's definitely true but i think that lamar jackson's performance uh on sunday was uh, a really good uh, a really good like you said uh you know put putting the league on notice moment because 
you know, his passes were accurate. You know, he was throwing the ball deep. He was accurate. He was 17 of 20 for 324 yards. Uh, he completed 85% of his pass attempts. That's really good. And he only carried the ball, I think it was, what, two times and only for seven yards. I believe that, um, I believe that against the Dolphins, he probably could have run the ball more and still beaten them. And teams know that they have to fear Lamar Jackson as a runner. But, you know, the fact that he was making it a point to throw the ball, he was looking to throw the ball, that's a big thing. So you can't say this whole, you know, pretty good for a running back or whatnot argument because uh, because Lamar Jackson has shown that he can throw it. You know, we didn't really get to see a whole lot of it in the preseason because it was preseason. But this was definitely him saying, hey, look, I'm a guy that can throw the ball. Uh, if you're not paying attention to me, I can beat you by throwing the football. I can throw it deep. I can throw it short. You know, his accuracy has definitely improved. I mean, I've been on record saying, you know, he needs to, among other people, I've been on record saying that, you know, he needs to become a better thrower of the football. And it looks like, it looks like he has, you know, he had a, uh, he had a, what was it? 99.4 total QBR yesterday. I think I was looking that up. That's, that was pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, think, you know, joking. It's, it's really good. I think it was something like that, right? Wasn't it? So, that oh, QBR? that's the ESPN total QBR, the, like a, uh, right, official NFL, QBR. yeah, official NB, NFL QB, QB rating. He got a perfect 158.3. That's he did get a perfect 158. Yeah. That's the best you can do. And so, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. And on the scale of 199.4, that's, that's really but good. I mean, so that's, yeah. you know. I mean, and you know that that eighty-three yard touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, you know, we that was that was big. So I think Lamar Jackson was definitely he definitely put the league on notice yesterday, um, and I don't think this necessarily means that it's going to be like this every single Sunday. You know, like we all know, it's the Dolphins, so we still have to see a little bit more. But I think definitely teams are looking at this and saying we definitely have to respect his talent more. We can't just expect him to be uh, a guy that's going to try to beat us by running. Um, so, yeah, I think it's Ravens fans definitely have a reason to be happy with Lamar Jackson's performance. And we all have reason to be excited about the Ravens this year. It's totally cool. Now, the Ravens did lose C.J. Mosley uh, via free agency. He's playing with the Jets, but through free agency, they also signed Earl Thomas, and Earl Thomas had an interception in the first quarter, I believe, and that was one of the things that that boosted that defense. Now, obviously, they played two different positions, but do you think with the even though they lost C.J. Mosley and they acquired Earl Thomas, do you think this uh, defense is just going to continue from where they are or where they were last season? Um, I don't know if the game they had last was a good. They had yesterday was a good barometer for that. Like the offense don't have much offensive firepower to really test out a defense the way you really would want it to. Um, so it's not necessarily a good point in the season to say that. But one thing that is true, and you can look to teams like the Steelers, like the Patriots the Saints, uh, teams like the Ravens, teams that have a culture of winning, that have a um, 
culture of next man up and being able to develop players that they draft. They never seem to miss a beat when it comes to losing guys like Terrell Suggs, like CJ Mosley, like uh, Eric Weddle. They don't. They seem to be able to find a guy to replace them quite easily. And so, with that being said, I think the Ravens want to be okay because this they've prepared themselves to be continuously competitive season after season after season, and that continuity that consistency it helps out with the players from the the veteran players who your star playmakers to the guys who are bouncing from practice squad to practice squad that work their way up the depth chart after three four years in the league so i think they'll be okay i want to see how they do at home i want to see how they do against the division rival because a competitive team and they'll have those tests all throughout the season so uh we'll find out really quickly whether or not this defense is legit but they from what it from what it seems is that they're going to be yeah i i definitely don't think like you said the dolphins aren't a good barometer for that uh but at the same time you know i also think there's a reason why you know the ravens are capable of attracting you know free agents like like earl thomas and guys like that you know why it's hard for guys you know like cj mosley to leave and and so forth and so on i think the ravens have a good culture and you know they're on the track record you know they can really develop players, and I think that's a big thing. So even if, you know, this defense isn't quite what it was last year, um, I think that they can still definitely be competitive. Uh, but yeah, we'll just, we need to, we need to look at a few more games to really see, uh, what's going to happen going forward, uh, especially when we look at those division rivalry games. Like, I want to see them, you know, I want to see them against the Steelers. I want to see them against the Browns. I want to see what they can really, what they can really do, um, uh, in this league. But I think that they'll be okay, uh, I don't expect them to necessarily outscore every opponent on offense, especially when they go up against, you know, actual solid defensive teams, teams that aren't actually imploding. Um, but I think that their defense is going to be okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna overreact and say it's gonna be great based on a performance against the Dolphins, but I think that they will be okay. All right. One last note about the Baltimore Ravens. Someone from the recent pass of the Washington Redskins got into the game, RG3, threw a touchdown pass. Did you think, uh, let's start with you, Darren, real quick. Did you think you were going to see RG3 actually play in this game? I had a feeling I would. Um, as soon as I knew he'd, he'd be active for the game, I had a feeling I would. Um, I'm also on record saying that I think Trace McSorley should be uh, Lamar Lamar Jackson's backup. Um, so I would have liked to see him be nice to kind of get his feet wet in an actual NFL game, especially since competition uh, like the Dolphins. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't too surprised to see RG3. Um, I'm glad I did. I'm glad that Lamar Jackson got to, got to rest um, for a little bit, let, let RG3 take over for the series. But you know, it, it was nice seeing him out on the field again. It was nice seeing him score, throw a touchdown pass, which is which is a big deal. So it made my heart warm as a Redskins fan. <laughs> what about you, Duran? Uh, the 
seeing RG three out there was nice. Uh, like I said, it was a nice uh, little treat for all of us local uh, football fans. I think that I'm against Darren in the sense that RG three should be the third string quarterback. I like Trace McSorley. I do. He will probably be. He's probably a solid uh, Garoppolo. Uh, carbon copy of a quarterback who has potential to be a starter one day, but he's still young. And if in my mind, and in my mind, the perfect backup is a quarterback who's had starting experience, who's won before, who's had success in the league, but for whatever reason doesn't have the skill or capability to be a consistent starter in the league, but can come in for you in a pinch for a half, a game, three games, whatever the case may be, and not miss too and your team not miss too much of what you have installed in your team. And from a play style perspective, from all the stuff I just listed, RG3 is the perfect backup for Lamar Jackson. He has the same skill set that Lamar Jackson has, and so you don't have to change your playbook much at all. His arm is just as good, if not better, actually, than Lamar Jackson's. And so, you know, it's a, it's still RG3, so it's still a matter of of health. It's still a matter of uh, it's still a matter of being able to uh, grasp the offense the way you really want him to, but. From a backup perspective, there's not much more you could want out of a backup for Lamar Jackson. So I'm, um, I was happy that RG3 was able to go in and and get a and get a drop, get up some plays, and because he needs to get some uh, reps in as well. Uh, you know, McSurley had the entire preseason for the most part, and and RG3 was sidelined. So you need to get RG3 some reps. So. God forbid if Lamar Jackson goes down, your backup situation isn't playing for the first time in over a year. All right. Let's uh let's now move on to the Washington Redskins. They had to go to Philadelphia for their season opener, and they fell to the Eagles 32-27. But let's actually address something that occurred before the game even started. Uh, veteran run back Adrian Peterson was deactivated, and it was actually a healthy scratch. Um, let's start with you, Darren. I mean, do you agree with uh with uh, Adrian Peterson being a healthy scratch for this game against the Eagles? Jeremy and Gerard, when I got this notification yesterday that that AP was let, let me let me walk you through let me walk you through the process of what happened. So I work on Sundays. Alright. I I work in the morning, I have a nice break, and then I work in the afternoon for just a little while. And on my break, my phone buzzed and said, Adrian Peterson will be inactive against the Eagles. I was like, my first thought was, uh-oh, like, like what happened? Is he injured? Did he get injured in practice? I'm, I'm ready to like, just, just curse out the Redskins training staff and just be like, what, 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 what'd y'all do? And then I find out my, my next alert that I get is that he's a healthy scratch and that 
veterans are unhappy that Adrian Peterson is a healthy scratch for, might I add, the first time in his Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer career. Um, and so, yeah, that didn't sit well with me, that he's a healthy scratch, uh, especially now looking at the fact that Geis is injured and we're still waiting to find out that he's if he's going to need surgery. Um I think that having Adrian Peterson on the field, I think it changes the outcome. I don't think the Redskins completely blow blow the lead. This is my my optimism. We'll talk about this a little bit later. We'll get into that when we talk about the actual game. But my jaw basically hit the floor, and it broke my heart to to hear that Adrian Peterson was a healthy scratch, uh, especially showing that he still had something left in the tank last year. I still believe he's he's got something left in the tank. You know, obviously he's not going to be the player that he was in the past. I accept that. I get that. But as a huge Adrian Peterson fan, I was completely bummed watching the game on Sunday and watching him in street clothes on the sideline as opposed to in pads and in uniform. Um, playing for the Skins. So it just, it broke my heart. And I feel like that's one of those situations, especially against a division rival in the Eagles. You can't bench a guy like Adrian Peterson. You can't, he can't be a healthy scratch. Like that just, you, you, you just can't do it. I don't know what Jay Gruden was thinking. And I'm still waiting for some sort of explanation as to why it was a healthy scratch. I get that he wanted to start guys. I, I get that he feels like, you know, he wants to focus on his younger players, on the guys of the future. But, you know, we know that Geist has injured, has issues staying healthy. That was always going to be something coming into the season. And yeah, Darius Geist looked pretty good yesterday. Um, but as long as you've always got that, well, he, he, he looked, he looked okay. I cut you off. I cut you off. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I thought I thought he looked okay. Uh, you know, not 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 great. You know, still a little bit raw. But I thought he looked okay, okay enough. Um, but yeah, you. I think you need Adrian Peterson out there. You just need him out there and active with the guys. So you know, I was disappointed in that, and I don't think he should have been benched. And I think that somebody owes us a big explanation. Somebody being Jay Gruden. He owes a huge explanation as to why uh, Adrian Peterson was wearing street clothes yesterday instead of, you know, out there on the field trying to help this team. Okay, so I already have that answer for you. This comes straight from Jay Gruden. He was asked this the presser after the game yesterday um, multiple times about it, and so this is he was asked before the game as well. This is was this was his answer. He said that. AP was a healthy scratch because he wanted the third running back that was active to be able to help on special teams. So that's what Wendell Smallwood was. Wendell Smallwood is the backup returner for the Redskins. He's also yeah. on the punt coverage and the kickoff coverage. And so he said that Adrian Peterson would not be able to help on special teams. That's why he was not active. And then Somebody asked Jake Rudin, would there be a time in the season where he thought Adrian Peterson would be active uh, regardless? And he said that Adrian Peterson is just a first and second down back. And he said Darius Geis is a first and, is a first and second down back. And we plan on running on first. We have, he said, 
there's about 20 first downs in a game that we'll have in a game, and we plan on running anywhere between eight and 12 of those times. Darius guys can handle that, and anything else we will uh, have one of our other running backs uh, take the snap out of a different formation. And then he finished it up by saying, if there's ever a time we line, ever a game we line up 55 times in the I formation, then maybe we'll give, then maybe he'll be active for that. That was Jay Gruden's response to why Itchens Peterson got scratched, uh, a healthy scratch. Real quick, real quick before you continue. I'm just saying, I heard that, at least I heard the special teams explanation. I don't think I heard all the rest of that. But I did hear the special teams explanation. And, like, that just, that it's not, it, it, for me, personally, it's not going to do enough for me. That's just, that's just me, personally. Maybe. It's His explanation is, isn't enough for me. So I, I, I need something better than that. Because I think he should have been out there. That was, that was... Everybody's response to it. Nobody was happy with his uh, explanations to why Adrian Peterson was uh, inactive. Uh, that wasn't a good, like you said, oh, you need somebody on special teams. That's your right. reason why he's not active. Come on now. That's not that's not a good enough answer for anybody. Nope. And that's why the nah. veterans, that's why the veterans are upset. Apparently it also came out that AP knew that he was going to be a scratch on Monday. He knew going into tra- practice all week long that guys would be getting all the first team reps. And that comes right. Sunday, barring any injury to guys or any of the running backs during practice that Adrian Peterson would be scratched anyway. Um, so he knew that and he handled it. And so that's why a lot of, People were upset with Jake Wooden because was, his answers after the game came off as a little bit of little bit flip and kind of just dismissive of the situation. And what it essentially boils down to is, and this kind of goes with reports I was hearing after during the preseason that. Gruden and some of the other people on the coaching staff necessarily did not want AP on the 53-man roster. That they would have, I did hear that. They would have preferred that. to keep Geis as the main guy, and then have a guy like uh, Sean Wilson or Byron Marshall or whoever be that third running back, and still have space for a guy like Wendell Small to pick up on waivers. Um, but essentially. Adrian, Adrian, Adrian Peterson, the Hall of Famer, is essentially a Samaj P. Ryan this season. If guys didn't get hurt yesterday, he'd go the entire season playing, uh, traveling with the team, but not suiting up. That would be that. That would be the case for the entire season. I don't agree with it. It is a very, very bad move. It's something that even if you have zero intention of using him. That it doesn't make it doesn't make good locker room. It is not a good head coach move. You don't take the pads off one of your veteran players, even though he's only been there for a season. He has a lot of respect in the locker room. The guy that in the you're in the, in the league, I mean, yeah, but not only in the lock, but more importantly for this situation in the locker yeah. room, like that's that's. You know, a people look up to him. He's a leader, not just the running back 
group, but everybody on offense, you know, from Keenum to Haskins to everybody, look up to him. And then to top it all off, he's the best friend of the guy you're desperately trying to get back with your team who's been holding out since June. Like, how do you think Trey Williams responded to the news that the organization's already having some anger issues with, just benched his best friend that helped them have any type of chance of being competitive just a season ago? Like, one of the things that's probably high on his list to come back probably right after getting game checks again and being able to play football is that, hey, I get to play football with my best friend. So that is a pretty good reason to come back and play. Like, you took like, – it doesn't make a lot of sense from from a lot of different standpoints. And your reason being that you wanted an extra body on special teams? Come on, man. Like – it's just awful. It was it was just bad. I'm sure you could have found somewhere else on that roster that you could have um that you could have made room for agents. Like did Troy Abke really need to be uh on the uh active roster yesterday? I didn't see him at all. I don't know if he got in the game. He didn't make an impact on special teams or anything like that. Like did he have to be active and it was just it was just a bad decision all the way around. Yeah, if I'm if I'm Adrian Peterson, and I know that he's too much of a professional to do this, but if I'm Adrian Peterson, I, I'm walking into the front office. I well, I would have been walking into the front office this morning and requesting a trade. I know that he probably wouldn't do he that. Have that clout anymore. He would. Yeah. If he, could. he would if he could. If he yeah. if he felt confident that he could go so even after even though he had a great season last year, if he felt confident he could go somewhere else and get into the running back rotation relatively quickly, I feel like he would. But I don't think he has it anymore. Unless uh, like that would have had to happen after like the Lamar Miller injury or something like that. A running back has to go down. Um, somewhere across the league for him to kind of have that type of leverage. I don't think he has it anymore, so he's kind of stuck. Yeah, I think the uh, the entire situation is really messy. Um, obviously, we as fans found out Sunday morning, and of course, they said the reports were that he probably knew about it, but, but all of it is messy. And, and to be honest, I mean, going in, let, let's be real. Going into this regular season, if we had to do a power ranking, you probably still would have Adrian Peterson as the best running back on the team. Obviously, you want Darius Geis to be the future, and he was going to get touches. But, I mean, I don't see how you can just have a healthy scratch for your best running back, you know, today uh, on the roster. And, and if someone of, of Adrian Peterson's caliber and status in the league, and like you all said, a future Hall of Fame running back. Like to me, it was very disrespectful. You all hinted that it was possibly personal. And I and I think it is something that that is personal between Gruden and Adrian Peterson. Uh let's now actually get to the game. The Redskins fell to the Eagles 32 to 27. Uh however, the Redskins started a game with a 17-point lead, exactly 17-0 before. The Philadelphia Eagles got on the board, and then at halftime they were up twenty to seven. I want to start with you, Darren. Like after halftime, what happened? <laughs> to, to, like was was it was it the the players? 
Was it the coaches? Uh, was it something, someone else, something else? Was it that they're actually playing against the Eagles that caused the uh, caused the Redskins to underperform? Start with you, Darren. Well, I think on some level, it's all of the above. You'd kind of have to rank them. Um, starting from the Eagles side, you know, Carson Wentz has found uh, his new best friend, Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, he's... You, you put Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffries out there and, you know, they're going to make Carson Wentz look good. I, I'm still not completely sold on him as a franchise quarterback, but he's, he's good enough, especially with the right pieces around him to be, to be a solid guy if he can, if he can stay healthy. Um, so, you know, you definitely have to take that into equation. You know, we are playing the Eagles, but I think really, this is just one of those situations that we've seen from the Redskins all the time. You know, we saw it all the time last year. We've seen it where if they have leads, they will just settle into those leads and they will be, uh, you know, they, they just get comfortable. You know, they see a 20 to seven lead, which in football is really not that much. That's, that's, overcomable that's not that's not a huge lead um so you know the the biggest issue as far as i'm concerned is just the redskins ability to put together a full 60 minute game which so far they haven't demonstrated that they can do um they'll put up a solid first half you know i thought i thought case keenum looked solid i think he's got he's got kind of the right guys around him uh if you can keep case keenum protected i think that he's he can you know, he can win this team a few games with this talent, I think, you know. Um, I I had them going, what I predict last year, 6-10. and 10. I think that with Case Keenum at quarterback, I think he can definitely do that, 6-10, and 7-9. and nine. Um, But they have to put together a full 60-minute game. They, 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 it's a combined, you know, they run out of gas, they get comfortable. You know, Jay Gruden can't coach them back into being motivated to actually play. You know, the defense was, was just giving everything up. You know, every time I saw Deshaun Jackson just, just standing there wide open, not being covered, um, you know, you always knew that he was going to catch it and just run with it. Um, you know, I was literally calling calling touchdowns as they happened. I was calling scores as they happened. I was like, yep, they're going to score on this drive. You know, the Redskins couldn't stop them on third downs. Uh, so it was just, it was just a total collapse. Now, I, I, I did see some positive things. I think that Terry McLaurin looked great. I think that if he keeps developing, he could easily be arguably one of the best five. He could probably be the best wide receiver on this team. Um, Cole Holcomb was solid. Uh, I was impressed by his performance yesterday. Uh, the Vernon Davis highlight right off the bat to, to start the game off. Uh, you know, that was as far as I'm concerned, just uh, leaping tall defender, leaping tall defenders in a single bound, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he's, he's fantastic, but you know, I think that, all those first half highlights don't mean anything if you can't keep up the momentum in the second half. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I won't be convinced that this team will be any good until they show me that they can actually, uh, you know, score in the second half. The offense won't go dry and the defense can keep up the intensity and the pressure on the opposing offensive line. Uh, okay, so... Yeah, I had a lot wrong with the game yesterday. I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start 
like Bradley Bill always says, start at the top. So, yeah. so, so I'm going to start with the coaching staff. Might be a different season, but it is the same old Redskins coaching staff. Um, for the longest time, Jay Gruden's ML has been, he is a great coach when it comes to scheming and getting your offensive playbook ready for the game on Sunday. But when it actually comes to game day, he will make a, he'll make a mistake that will put his team in a position to get beat. And he did it again this past week. First thing was getting, was having Adrian Peterson, which we already talked about, having him inactive. You already you took out a Hall of Fame player that could that could produce for you before the game even got kicked off, and then to top that off, what you followed it up with was not reacting to the injuries that presented itself in the game. Well, I think that the decision to stick with a four man front of Sweat. Ionitis, Payne, and Kerrigan for the bulk of the game was the wrong decision after the John Allen injury. But that's another MO of the, of the Gruden coaching staff. They don't handle personnel switches that well. They allowed the Eagles to dictate what they wanted to do in the second half. And because of that, it was clear that the Redskins could not get their walk. The Redskins could not find a way to win on their own. They would have. They needed the Eagles to make a mistake. The Eagle. They needed the fumble. They needed an interception. They needed a crucial penalty. They needed the Eagles to make a mistake for the Redskins to capitalize on. And Carson Wentz just never provided the opportunity for them. Um, so, from uh, Gruden's perspective on offense, the failure to adjust. What the Eagle to so what the Eagles defense was doing was crucial in the second half. Uh, it was. You know, the run did not produce at all. I think there was a total of three rush attempts in the entire second half. Uh, Darius Geis, he had 13 carries, I want to say, for 18 yards or 10 carries for 18 yards, something like that. It was a really, really bad game for him. Of only, only if they had somebody else to on the roster to kind of spell him a little bit, try to change up pace, but... I guess you didn't have that on Sunday. So you couldn't really change up what you want to do there. Uh, the receivers were doing good jobs of getting open. The receivers were probably the bright spot on offense yesterday. I'll give credit to what Case Keenum did. He did really well. Uh, he performed a lot better than I expected him to. But at the same time, this receiving core, which, it, which has a healthy Paul Richardson for the first time in D.C., Terry McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon, the healthy Trey Quinn. They're able to get separation and run routes effectively for the first time since Pierre Garcon and Deshaun Jackson were here. So having those players here and perform the way they did was a nice thing to see. Gave me a lot of hope for the future, but it was just a lot of mess. Um, It was the only thing that the staff could scheme the right way. And then on defense – it was bad from it was bad from the second half on. They made zero adjustments in the second half. They said, "Hey, we held them to seven points, and the only reason why they had that because of 
Deshaun Jackson being faster than everybody else in the NFL still. So we just go out there and continue doing what we're doing, and we had this game won. Instead of realizing, hey, we didn't get to the quarterback nearly as well as we should have. Everybody's talking about this amazing pass, which the Redskins have, this incredible front seven that's going to put pressure on quarterbacks. I get the Eagles have a really good offensive line, but they got zero penetration the entire game. They have one sack the entire game, and it was barely a sack. It was only a sack by technicality. It was uh, went escaping at the pocket and getting tripped up a yard, uh, excuse me, a yard behind the line of scrimmage. It wasn't even a real sack. So they got zero penetration. The running game between Howard and Sproles and the other one, I forgot his name, but they they were able to do virtually um, not what they wanted. They didn't run up and down the field, but they had productive games themselves. And so that front seven was not nearly as good as advertised. I don't know what the issue was. I don't know where the disconnect happened, but they did not get any penetration at all. Um, you mentioned Holcomb and the linebacker and the linebackers between Holcomb, Bostic, and Shondell Hamilton. Uh, Holcomb got a lot of snaps due to SDH coming off injury that he was nursing for most of the week, and so Holcomb got a lot of first team reps and and they schemed a lot of stuff this week with Holcomb in, so they just kept him in the game for week one. We'll see if that continues or if Shondell Hamilton continues to be the main guy they want to go with. But they played pretty well. The secondary had its bright spots, uh, but it was a lot of miscommunication, which we've heard before from a Minusky ran defense. A lot of miscommunication. The players don't know where they're going to go. Players don't know where they're supposed to be. I get uh, Jimmy Mullins, a seventh-round rookie, so he has a lot of growing up to do. But he was out of position a lot. Monte Nicholson was out of position a lot. He was pretty. He was really ineffective in the running game. Uh, Landon Collins performed well. Norman was okay in spots. He's good against the runner underneath, but anything over the top, he got beat or was out of cover, out of place himself a lot. Dunbar got beat a lot as well, and so there was a lot of negatives for me. That even in the twenty to seven first half that the Redskins had, it looked good, but there was no running game. There was no pass rush. There was nothing that was like, okay, I feel like we can put this team away going into the second half. I think it was, I think that's what it was. We came out and the team was just flat. The Eagles knew that the Eagles were prepared for it and they made adjustments where the Redskins didn't. All right. Well, before we continue, just want to remind you all to check out DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Right now, we have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time DC and Dom and Thunder. All of these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found, so please check these shows out and if you like any of them leave a review and subscribe to them on the podcast platform of your choice let's still continue with the washington redskins and talk about the injuries that were sustained by two notable players defensive lineman jonathan allen and running back darius geist 
Jonathan Allen, they said it looks like it is a MCL sprain. Darius Geis, they're saying it's a meniscus injury on the opposite knee that he had surgery on last year, but the severity of the meniscus injury is still unknown. Uh, let's start with you, Gerard, real quick. You know, full are these two injuries going to be for the rest of the season for the Washington Redskins? Um, and I know Darren's going to uh, attack the training staff for the Redskins, so I won't do that. I'll let him get to that. But uh, for me, it's going to be interesting to see how the Redskins handle it. Uh, the Geist injury it's going to revert back to what we saw last year. It's just a hope that Agent Peterson can produce again this season. Uh, we're not expecting it to be for the entire season this year because, you know, guys will still be able to come back at some point this season. We just don't know when. Uh, so it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that long. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's just a few weeks. Um, but with John Allen, he went out yesterday, I want to say in the second quarter. I know it was in the first half when he went out. And there wasn't much of a pass rush with him in. But when he went out, it completely went away. Um, any pass rush that we might have had. And this is not a knock on Jonathan Allen at all. He's a really good player. He's has the potential to be a great player in the NFL. But... Jonathan Allen is not enough of a difference maker yet that his absence should have caused that type of drop-off in production. He's not Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox or any of those guys yet. He's not one of those premier uh, D linemen that can cause havoc and the removal of him, it's a completely different line. He's not there yet. And so if this front seven is as good as it was supposed to be, as or at least as good as advertised, then they still should be able to do something to produce some type of rush um, going forward in the game. And they just weren't able to do that. And so it's interesting to see how they respond to the Jonathan Allen entry because he'll probably be out for a few weeks, uh, probably a week or two. So it, you got to figure out how to make this work because what they went with last week, what they went with on Sunday with Payne, Ioannidis, Kerrigan, and Sweat just did not work. Sweat couldn't get pressure. He couldn't use his athleticism to get around the edge. He was ineffective in the run game. So you got to figure out how you're going to develop a pass rush without Jonathan Allen in to help um, clog up the middle and bring pressure through the, uh, up the pocket. So I think that's the injury that's more important because we've seen what the team looks like with, HSP, with AP as the lead back. So it's all about seeing if they can develop a pass rush with just the uh, two interior linemen without missing while they're missing their uh, leader. Yeah, I I am in total agreement with you as far as which injury is the more important one. I mean, we we've, we've pretty much seen what this team is without guys. I predict that at some point he would he would go out with with injury or something just simply because that that's been his history so far especially as a young player and you know being a running back it's just that that's just something that happens so you know we still got adrian peterson on this roster uh so i i think that he can 
still feel likely whatever whatever Geis is going to give us this season, most likely. Um, because I don't, uh, you know, if he's declining, then he he will just he'll give us what guys is able to do. And if he's, if he's still anything like last year, then, you know, he'll still have a few games where, you know, he runs for, you know, he, he can still make those big plays, you know, he'll turn into the, the guy that makes one or two big plays in the game and then he'll, he'll deliver. So I'm not as concerned about the guy's injury, but yeah, the, the Jonathan Allen injury is, 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 a bigger deal. Um, not that, like you said, it, it's one of those things where it makes a difference having him out there, but it, it's more just like um, he is taking taking him away is just going to make a bad situation worse, not necessarily make it, you know, a good situation completely devolving to a, a horrible situation. But I think that somewhere, you know, Trent Williams is sitting on his couch watching all this happen and he's just going, see, I told you this training staff is going to mess with, with our players. So, I mean, once again, you, like you said, that's, that's what I'm focused on here. So it's going to be, I can't, I just, I can't get past, uh, these guys just they keep getting injured and, something really needs to be done about it. Obviously, nothing's going to be done about it during this season, but, you know, the Redskins, that, that's the biggest adjustment they need to make of all. You know, they need to figure out this uh, training staff situation, especially with lower body injuries, because our guys just can't and won't stay healthy as long as they're on this team. You know, guys that have injury histories are going to stay ha being injured. You know, healthy guys without injury histories are going to eventually get injured at some point. So this situation needs to be addressed as soon as possible. All right, let's uh, move on to a football team that did win this weekend, the Maryland Terrapins. They defeated number 21 or then number 21 Syracuse 63. Let me get the exact score. It was was it 63 to 63 to 20? Yep. Yes, 63 to 20. This is the week after coming off of a 79 zip victory over Howard. Maryland is now ranked number 21 in the country. This is the first time they have ranked in the top 25 since 2013, uh, which would make them, I guess, the first rank since they've been in the Big Ten, correct? That would that make yeah, sense, yeah. right? Yep. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the Maryland Terrapins are 2-0. Uh, my question for you, Darren, from what we've seen from the Terrapins the last two games and with new head coach Mike Loxley and some of the tra transfers that came to this team, can the Terps be competitive in the Big Ten this season? And when I mean competitive, I mean when they do play, you know, I don't have the, the entire schedule up right now, but when they run up against an Ohio State or Michigan, can the game be competitive, and do they have a legit chance of actually winning against these teams? I'm going to say they definitely have the chance to be competitive. I've been impressed by what I've seen from Mike Lockley's off Lockley's offense. It's looking solid. You know, uh, Josh Jackson is looking pretty good. Um, you know, his, his passing is, is, is pretty good. Um, I think the defense looks pretty promising. Uh, but at the same time, 
you know me, I'm really, I'm not one that ever truly wants to overreact. So I want to, I want to be cautiously optimistic uh, about the Terrapins this year and just say that they can definitely be competitive uh, playing teams, you know, like Michigan um, can definitely be good games that you'll want to watch. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how these offenses go against each other. It'll be interesting to see uh, the defense, whether the defense shows up against these really good teams. Um, but it's nice having the Terrapins ranked this early on in the season, which is fantastic. I think a couple of weeks ago, they were only projected to win maybe four games this season, something like that. So to see them be looking this dominant uh, this early in the season is really impressive. But at the same time, uh, I do want to see a little bit more uh, I, I want to make sure that these aren't necessarily just like outlier games, uh, which they very well could be. You just never know at this point. I think, you know, give us give, give us another couple of weeks or so to really see what this team is going to look like. And then we can really find out if they're going to be competitive. But yeah, I think those games uh, against, you know, those opponents will be uh, definitely be competitive. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily means that they're going to win, but yeah, uh, it'll be fun watching Terrapins football at, at the very least. So uh, I just want to see if they can keep going dom keep being dominant, um, and keep delivering on the field. Yeah, I think that this Maryland team is legit. I think that they have a ch a chance to. Not only be competitive in the Big Ten, but if the off if the team continues to play as well as they have been, to be in contention to win the Big Ten, uh, and that's not me trying to get excited about getting overly excited about what I've seen so far from the Turks. Granted, one of these wins were against a smaller D one school in Howard, who is right. not at the uh, level of a Big Ten school, but they did it. They put 63 points up on a Syracuse team that people had rated pretty high who have a really good defense. And so they are a so they so putting up 60 points on a on a on a legit team is still impressive. Now, I don't think they're going to put up 50, 60, 70 points a week. That would be incredible. But I think that they had the ability to out to score with the best teams in the conference, and their defense has been solid throughout these past two weeks as well. Only putting up twenty, only allowing twenty points combined between the two. So I think they have a legit shot, and it helps that some of the bigger games they have, they're home for. They have Penn State at home, and they also have Michigan at home. So those are the two. Those are two of the top, uh, toughest teams they're going to face in the Big Ten this season. So being able to get those kind of games at home is a real benefit for Maryland. And games they have on the road against teams like Temple and Purdue and Rutgers, they should be able to. Uh, handled them not easily, not always easily anyway, because these are still um, good programs, but they should be able to um, handle themselves on the road. Hopefully this office can travel and Lockley, and Lockley can coach just as well in a, 
uh, in a visitor stadium. But I do like him. I do like what he's brought to this Terps team. And like you said, Josh Jackson has proved to be a, a very, very valuable uh, athlete for the Terps starting out. So I like this Terps team. I'll keep an eye on them. Hopefully they can, at the very least, make a run for the Big Ten um, and uh, make the, make a bowl game this year. It'd be nice to see Maryland in the bowl game for the first time in a long time. All right. Let's now get on to our final topic for this episode. It has to deal with Elena Deladonna, the Washington Mystics. She became the first WNBA player to join the 50-40-90 club. For those that do not know, the 50-40-90 club is a statistical club where a player uh, has a stat line of 50% or more in on from the field, 40% or more from three-point, and 90% or more from the free-throw line. So she became the first WNBA player to join that club. Some notable players who are in that club, Steph Curry, um, man, I'm having a blank, Steve Kerr. La- I mean, Steve La- Nash, sorry. Yep. Larry, Larry Bird, Bird, Steve Nash, Ritchie, mm-hmm. Reggie um, Miller. Reggie Miller, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, yeah, Kevin Durant. So those are... Those those are pretty much the guys who are part of the 50, 40, 90. Those, those, are, those are the guys. Yeah, those are all the guys. And Mark Price. We forgot Mark Price. And Mark Price, yeah. Yes, yes. So she is now part of that club. Start with you, Gerard. How impressive is that statistical accomplishment for Elena Della Don? It's incredibly impressive. I don't know how anybody can say that it's not an impressive feat. We just ran off all the guys who've done it in NBA history, and it took us 10 seconds. It's not a lot of people who've done it in professional basketball, and to be the first one to do it in the WBA is incredible. Um, uh, Lynn Deladon has had a historic season, clearly, and she is, with my limited knowledge of what's going on around the WBA, the, uh, the clear-cut favorite to be the MVP this season. And he, she has uh, she has put the Mystics in position to win a WBA title this year, and that's a better position than the Wizards, Redskins, Nats, or even Capitals seem to be in at this moment. So it's something to really behold and. Uh, it is a very it's very impressive to see it happen, and I'll be rooting for her to win uh, the MVP as well as the, for the as well as the Mystics to win the championship this year. Yeah, I'll I'll go even further than that. You know, she's got to be the clear cut favorite for MVP. If she doesn't win it, then you know the 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 league is somehow definitely rigged against against Elena Deladon if she doesn't win it. But she should be the clear cut. Uh, MVP this season. Um, and I'm going to even go a step beyond that. I think that she's making a solid case for being a future Hall of Famer. You know, this is, this is elite company that she's in right now. Um, when you've got names and, and Reggie Miller and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Dirk Nowitzki on this list, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a small list, but that just shows you how, how impressive it is. And I mean, she has been the driving force on this team all year long. You know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past. It has 
several nights she has carried this team completely you know they just they just closed out uh the season uh on a win over the chicago sky uh on sunday uh to post uh, a league leading 24 and 8 record which is also the best uh record for the mystics in history um you know, this was her first season making at least half of her field goal attempts with that 51.5% from the field. You know, she's she's a career 40% shooter from three. Um, and let me give you this number. So, uh, you know, 97.4% from the free throw line, her numbers were 114 of 117 at the free throw line this year. Impressive. That's, that's incredible. She's averaged 19.5 points and 8, which is good, uh, really, really good. Uh, so, and you look back, she's won, you know, the Player of the Week award six times, and she went for a perfect three months of being the WNBA Player of the Month for the Eastern Conference. So, you know, she is making history in the WNBA. You know, she's cementing her place, not just in WNBA history, but in just professional basketball history in general. So as far as I'm concerned, she's the MVP this year. She's the best player in the WNBA. And I know she's still young, but, you know, she's, as far as I'm concerned, we should be talking about her as a future Hall of Famer. All right. Well, before we wrap up this show, since it is football season, uh, let's uh, just predict the games that are going to be happening this weekend with the local teams or some of the local teams. Uh, let's start off with the Maryland Terrapins. They'll be going on the road against Temple. And just uh, quickly, let's uh, predict these games. Number 21, Maryland going up against Temple. 12 o'clock kickoff. Start with you, Jerron. Uh, I have Maryland by 20. All right. What about you, Darren? Uh, I got Maryland too. I'll say by, I'll, I'll say by, uh, I'll say it's a little bit closer. I'll say I got him winning by 10. Yeah, I think Maryland Terrapins, they'll win by 10. It'll be their first road game, so it'll be closer. Virginia Cavaliers, they're, they're at home. They're number 25 in the nation. They'll be facing Florida State. Who do you have winning, Darren? Um, I have it a little bit slimmer. I've got uh, I got Virginia State winning. I, I've, I've, I'm sorry, I've got Virginia winning. I've got them winning by... Um, I've got a narrow margin. I've got only about three points in that one. I've I, I've got Virginia winning by about three. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a little bit tighter. All right, what about you, Jerron? Uh, I have Virginia by seven. Okay, okay. Virginia Tech, they're at home. They'll be hosting Furman. Twelve o'clock kickoff. Jerron, who's winning that game? Uh, give me VT by 17. All right. What about you, Darren? Uh, VT by seven. All right. I have Virginia Tech there. 
They're going to win by 21 points, I think, in this game yeah. against Furman. Let's now move up to that. I'm, there's some more teams in the area, but I don't feel like going through all those get, all those teams. There's there's William and Mary. There's James Madison. There's uh, I guess you could say even ODU. Their football team is pretty decent, but oh, we're not yeah. going to go through all of those. Uh, teams in this episode. Let's now move up to the NFL. The Baltimore Ravens will be hosting the Arizona Cardinals. This will be Terrell Suggs' return to Baltimore, and it's also the Ravens' home opener. Start with you, Darren. Who's going to win that game? Yeah, I'm taking the Ravens at home against uh, a Cardinals team that really had no business tie tie in that game um, on on Sunday against the Lions, but yeah, I've got the Ravens by uh, against this Cardinals team at home, and Terrell Suggs is back. Yeah, I've I've got I've got the Ravens by twenty. Ooh, all right. What about you, yeah. Jerron? You say Ravens by twenty? I just say. I don't. I I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think they're gonna. They're gonna do business on Kyler Murray. I don't think he's gonna be able to. Westgate got him as a two touchdown favorite self on Monday yep. against uh, Arizona. I'll say that's about right. I'll give them. Uh, I'll give them. I'll give Ravens by. 17. Okay. Mm, seems high. But I'll give them Ravens by 17. Uh, I think the Baltimore Ravens, they'll win uh, by 13 points. I think they'll beat, they'll beat the Cardinals by 13 points. Uh, now, the big game of the weekend, <laughs> the rivalry game. Washington Redskins will be hosting the Dallas Cowboys for the Redskins home opener. Uh, let's start with you. Darren, who's winning that game? I ca- I called this one last week for the Redskins, didn't I? Um, you did. Yeah. You did. It's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be like the first time the two teams met. Uh, I think it's going to be like the two the like when the first like when the two teams met last week. I think. You never, you never underestimate a division rivalry game, especially Redskins Cowboys. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's the. This is needlessly optimistic, I know, but I think it's going to be the Redskins by three. I think it's. I think it's another tight one. I've got the Redskins by three. I think just, you know, home opener against the Cowboys. Uh, I think Case Keenum will be okay. Uh, I I don't think it'll go higher than 20 points. I think it's something, it could very well be either a 10 to 13 game or a 17 to 20 game, something like that. Um, but I, I think it'll be somewhere within that three-point range. Um, I will never in all of my life, ever, 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 especially when I'm being recorded, say that the Cowboys would beat the Redskins, especially at home. Uh, would I put a bet on the Redskins? Not necessarily. But um, I will say that my prediction is that the Redskins win by 
10 points. I don't know how it will happen. I don't know. I can't fathom a situation in which they shut down the Cowboys offense and find a way to score themselves enough points to win by 10. But that is my prediction. Cowboys lose to the Redskins at home by a score of 17-27. Wow, really? Yes. I And, and in my prediction... I, I don't see the Redskins putting up 27 points against the Cowboys. It's the way I see it, the way I see it, I'm expecting maybe a return of Jordan Reed to help some things out. Uh, there's even been murmurs that Trent Williams might come back. I don't put much uh, stock into that uh, yet, though. I think Adrian, I think AP might be able to uh, help the skins out and uh, help with the running game a little bit. I think that there's a chance for the home crowd to help with the help with the game a little bit, even though there will be more Cowboys fans than Redskins fans there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's I don't see them squeaking one out. I don't see them winning a game by hitting the field goal with 20 seconds left to win it. I don't see that happening. I don't see it being a close game. I see it being a mistake riddle game for Dallas that the Skins happen to score points on. And it's going to have to be a really good day from Dustin Hopkins. Of course, I can't go against my Dallas Cowboys. Like, come on, man. But I do think it's going to be a lot closer than the Eagle. I mean, than the um, Giants game that the Cowboys just had. Cowboys won 35 to 10 against the Giants. I think the Cowboys win, but it'll be a four point victory, probably something like 24 to 20. That's what I think is going to happen in the game on Sunday. All right, y'all. That will do it for us. Actually, before we go, we need to get to you, Gerardi. We're not able to be on last week's episodes. Just quickly, we, one game has already happened, but we just want to know uh, what will be the re- record for the Baltimore Ravens and the record for the Bal- uh, Washington Redskins. Uh, for the Ravens, I'll say I'll say the record for the Ravens will be. Eleven and five. Eleven and five record for the Ravens. I might have said something like ten and six before yesterday, but I'll go with eleven and five for the Ravens. For the Redskins. Mm, six, nine, and one. Okay. Ooh. Which wait, right. which which game do you have them tie? Dolphins. Oh my goodness! What? All right. Really? Oh. No, wait, 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 wait! You said earlier. You said earlier. Isn't that going to be the Redskins' first win? Yeah, I changed my mind. It's. Uh, it's <laughs> oh no! Come on. I'm think uh, the, the way the the way the Redskins lost yesterday might be the most Redskin way to lose a game, and so you know, without making any big boneheaded mistakes, so. I think that 
is going to like we had a tie. We had a tie in Arizona yesterday, so it might I I could see it happening this season with the Redskins. Uh, I is a single is a single win single digit win team this year. I don't. There's no way around that. Um, I don't. I think eight and eight is out the window. Or oh, the schedule we have lined up, we have some tough defenses coming in. Our schedule coming up, I don't see us being able to be able to put up twenty points against everybody, and that's seven points we scored in the full quarter yesterday. It was a garbage time touchdown, uh, so I really can't even count that to really go toward what the type of points production that the offense can do. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm already. We didn't get into this. We get into this next week, especially depending on how the game goes. But I'm already in the fire Gruden camp. I don't even want to wait until December to do it. Uh, if we go, if we have three losses, I mean, if we have only, if we don't have more than four wins by the uh, bye week and week ten, cut ties with Gruden. Let Kevin O'Connell. Uh, audition for the head coach position and see what we have in somebody else because it's clear he's not the answer. I don't see the point of waiting till the end of the season to cut to fire him if there's not a chance to make the playoffs or anything. All right. Well, that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available and leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice so we could grow in the charts and reach more people. You can find us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. You can find me on Twitter at JSquared021. Darren, where can they find you on Twitter? Y'all can find me uh at d bird hoops that's d b i r d hoops I'm, I'm i'm if you're watching monday night football like we are right now the the saints and texans game was that wild that was saints just the <laughs> saints just won it in the last seconds amazing all right but anyway yeah okay what about you gerard where can they find you on twitter they can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Follow me, guys. I'm already starting the campaign of firing Jay Gruden. So uh, make sure you're up to date on that. It's going to be a fun season, guys. Stay tuned. All right. Don't forget to check out DMVSportsNetwork.com. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter uh, at DMV underscore SN. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter, the website, or shoot them an email at DMVSportsNetwork at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace out. See you guys.